Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. Now starting us off in DC is Sideways number one. This is part of the New Age of Heroes. Uh, we've talked about, uh, what was it, Damage uh, about a month ago or so. Yes. Uh, this is the Spider-Man looking one. So, of course, before reading it, I was expecting that kind of a, a vibe to it. Just replace web-swinging with, uh, with spatial rifts or something. And, you know, this was... Pretty close. Pretty close, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good call on your part. Um, you had the Hulk, Hulk equivalent of damage, and then you said, you know, the sideways gave you a Spider-Man vibe, and um, that's exactly what I got when I read it. So, it was a good call. It's funny, because I would say if you took, well, Spider-Man Vibe is actually a hilarious way to put it, because I think if you took the new 52 version of Vibe <laughs> and smashed him into Spider-Man, this is kind of sort of what you might get. Yeah. And that's not in a good or a bad way or anything of the sort. It's just, there comes a point where, I mean, we've only so many superhero archetypes. Very few new ones are coming around. But it's not just the power set or the attitude. There was a lot of this that reminded me of a young Spider-Man. The the hero, and I'm going to put hero in quotes because it's not like he does anything the least bit super heroic uh, uh, in terms of personality type here. But th the main character, Derek, has his powers when the issue starts, but not quite his responsibility. Matter of fact, I think the first time we see him using it, he is rifting into a, uh, a friend of his, uh, a female friend of his bathroom uh, early in the morning. I'm like, that just seems wrong on so many levels. They're not girlfriend boyfriend. I can't tell. It's close. Yeah, yeah. They, you're you're right. It, it, or just maybe they're both cut from the same cloth as outcasts. They're friends. And, yeah, fast friends that way. But I didn't get any sense of their dating or anything of the sort. But it's it's a first issue. It's really hard to tell. We don't see all that much of uh, of Ernie or Ernestine or whatever. But that's who made him his costume. He's just now trying it on. Um, because this is his big day. He's going to go public or whatever uh, with his powers. And it's funny because her room, when we first see it, actually seems reasonably sizable with a lot of, you know, geek stuff, a fairly tricked out uh, computer uh, setup it looked like and whatnot, and all this cosplay stuff on another one. But then like a page or two later when uh, her sister shows up, it's like the room suddenly contracted to a more realistic size or something. Oh, yes, it did. And from where she's standing, I think she could reach in any direction and touch everything. And it's funny because it, it, this panel is, is telling us that they're twins. And it's like, well, she seems a little shorter and a little younger. But, okay, maybe that's, again, just art. Uh, it's kind of Rockford uh, on the art who's doing a, a great job. But it's one of those things that when I'm hearing they're twins and I'm not really totally seeing it, eh, you know. That room is so much bigger from the beginning. <laughs> 
I did not pick up on that. That's awesome. I think it's it's a matter of of when uh, when Sideways does his I'm stepping out sideways bit. Maybe he shrunk the room. I don't know. Maybe he took space with him. Um, <laughs> we get introduced to to Derek and the supporting casts pretty well, but there are also a few places in this where man, we get some exposition. There's a little bit of stuff when he's doing the whole flashback to his origin, which is as much tell and show, about evenly split there. And I'm like, I really don't know that we saw any of this in Dark Knight's Metal. And if we did, it would have been like in that first chapter, and that came out, what, back in in August or something? Yeah. Months ago. Uh, because it was around the time Challenger's Mountain just kind of plumped itself down in the middle of Gotham. And- but I will applaud them for... Mm-hmm acknowledging what happened and kind of showing us an angle of it that we haven't seen before. Um, Because Damage just said from the pages of Metal and then kind of, I don't remember any kind of significant exploration of how that happened. Whereas this, you you actually did get a sense for how Metal tied in and, and, and helped this along. True, true. You're right. They at least acknowledged where it was theoretically from, even if it didn't happen there, they're at least tying it to those events. Could you tell where Derek's school was? Because they refer to Gotham as elsewhere, and far enough away that the kids in the school are kind of, it's a, why is he so so shaken up about what happened in Gotham, even though he was there? Because apparently it's far enough away, it doesn't make a hill of beans worth a difference to them, yet it's close enough that uh, Derek was interviewing for an internship. Which, I mean, he's a, a high schooler. I'm assuming he would have, I don't know, commuted? And it's not like his mom won. At this point, his mom certainly doesn't know he has powers because at this point, he doesn't have powers. This was like a month ago, and apparently his powers manifested like a, a week ago or something. I was kind of thinking that it was in the, in the city. Like, there's an Empire State Building looking building, and I just assumed that that was, he came back around and circled back around to there, and that was in the neighborhood of where he goes to school. But, uh, uh, that's a guess. When he's looking out the windows and stuff at the school, it seems more suburbanish. But I don't know. Maybe it's the the not skyscraper part of like a New York or something. Um, yeah, because because when he's on the roof, there's a the, kind of the center panel there that uh, you do see kind of a cityscape in the background and bridges and things. So yeah, it could go either way. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I also don't know where they consider Gotham to be located. So there's that. I mean, from from my standpoint in Central Texas, if if you were going to another city, you're either like I'm here in Austin. Round Rock is is kind of one of the suburbs, and it's not like a big big city at all because even Austin's not that big. So we're talking like San Antonio, Houston, or Dallas, which is like an hour to four hour drive, depending. But I mean, again, doesn't really matter. It was just something that I was having a hard time kind of placing where this was happening, and you know that that. A bit of exposition and backstory. We needed it to figure out how he presumably got his powers, although it was still kind of cryptic. But man, when he starts doing his live streaming premiere of stepping out with sideways, <laughs> the exposition starts flowing. Yeah, yeah, it did. And while we haven't seen a Spider-Man do the live streaming thing, it feels like the sort of thing either Spider-Man or Static Shock would do if those comics had started today. Yeah, it was a very youthful take on a superhero, but it it still felt like a like a Spider-Man experience and discovering powers and exploring and not doing so well at at them quite yet and uh being full of 
of potential and excited about it, but then also in over your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so it played on all those, which which I like. I like those those themes. Um, but then they added some. Yes, this is this is someone in high school, and they are of that era and are um, acting like it. And there is an immaturity there and um, a me first type of attitude and it um it played well together with the with the two it, it really it really kind of gelled and it didn't seem forced and it seemed really natural and um uh how folks are they were certainly trying to go for that vibe and i think you're right they really hit that pretty well if it was not so almost identifiably spider-man ish it might have played a little better for me yeah and it's tough to give them originality points but i think execution wise they did a pretty good job for the most part, uh, when we hit that two-page splash where we've got that Empire State Building-like thing, yes, I was taking it as he suddenly, you know, rifted over to New York City. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. Don't know. But we've yeah, got it's also the... on the cover, right? It's the same building on the cover. Is it? I'm not a city guy, so anything that that has a, a steeple like that makes me think of uh, sure Empire State Building. So. I've I've been to the Empire State Building, but it was it was decades ago. So uh, we'll say it's definitely the same building, but who knows? But Probably who knows if you, yeah, if it's from the same scene. Yeah, Th- that whole two-page splash, though the inset panels have him basically. Uh, uh, it looks like way up in the sky with nothing around him whatsoever as he's falling, and then we've got behind that the big two-page uh, splash of this beautiful cityscape. It's it's amazing, and I kept looking in there trying to find well, where is this kid in there, and I don't think he was and that that bothered me a little bit almost as much as when he kind of grabbed onto a, a roof ledge that just happened to be there uh and managed to grab it with one hand without you know yanking his arm out of his socket but hey superpowers will give him that one yeah uh but man the uh reveal there as to what he's facing next that felt more marvel than dc to me because it had almost a again i don't know who this 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 guy is but it felt cosmic if you know what i mean yeah 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 he was um a big bad definitely a big bad at the end and um i i'm curious about the the division of labor we've got dan didio um seemingly helping on the the layouts and also helping out on the dialogue at least the way i have it uh on on my credits page at the end um the storytellers are are Rocafort and Dan Didio, and then on dialogue, it's Justin Jordan and Dan Didio, and I'm curious as if they're going to be stepping back, and or Dan Didio is going to be stepping back, and he's he just wanted to launch this thing and help launch this thing, or he'll be an ongoing part of this team going forward. I'm expecting him to be an ongoing part of the team, but one that is hopefully acknowledging that as a publisher of DC, he's got a lot on his plate. Yeah. Um, and I think this character was his idea, or at least partially, given that Sideways is created by Rocafort and Didio. But it's it's unclear to me as to what level of input uh, Dan Didio had on this. And again, it, it feels like a, hey, let's do our own Spider-Man kind of a riff. Which isn't, again, a bad thing. It's not even the first time that's been done by another publisher. Static Shock, I think, is a very successful riff. Just take out the spider powers, give the kid electrical powers, boom, you've got the same thing. You know, it just comes down to, is Derek going to be the the geeky kid, kind of like a Peter Parker or not? And 
you just kind of where are they going with this? Because at the end of this, this this big bad they introduce, I'm like, well, why didn't he go after Vibe? It seemed like he would have gone and done that too. Not that anyone cares about Vibe for the most part these days. But this is one that, while I thought they hit the, the tone and the style they were going for, I didn't feel they gave us enough about the character or even the trajectory of the series to really necessarily hook readers. It's good, but I think they should have given us a little bit more to really seal the deal in this issue. Yeah, it's um, it, it's very early on, and, and there's not a lot of story here. Um, a lot of exposition shoved in there, but um, I, I don't... I don't, I'm not too upset. I try not to get too upset when one publisher kind of apes another. It, it seems it's a lifelong tradition of, of oh, industry true. practice for so many decades and decades that I guess I should be used to it by now. So I kind of overlook that. Um, so I, I, I like the way uh, this character was portrayed. I like the way that he um, interacts with the his cast of characters, you know, him, him kind of being bullied. I mean, it is it's so Spider-Man. Uh, and it, it you know, the twins thing is an is an interesting angle that's that is I'm sure is going to play out once popular, one's not. That that's going to be a fun storyline going forward, but we have so much so little screen time to kind of develop them um or at least the sister. We didn't have much much at all with with the sister. Yeah. Um uh, and and to your point, yeah, he's He's on screen a lot, but he's he's not doing enough. He's telling a lot, but he's not doing enough, I guess, to really establish his character as heroic. Even um, he's uh, want to be for sure, but uh, is, does he want to be famous or does he actually want to help? Well, I mean, the whole stepping out with sideways uh, live stream goes towards the original Spider-Man origin of going for the fame and fortune, not having the responsibility yet. Yeah, with the whole wrestling angle and everything. Yeah, that's so. It's not again. I don't mind if somebody says, "Hey, this other company has this cool kind of a character. I want to do my own riff on it." Like you said, uh, time tested and and whatnot technique and stuff. We've seen it a thousand times. We'll continue to see it. So only so many archetypes exist. But the problem is, or the frustration here is, we've got this super powered kid. And he seems to be going almost, not quite beat for beat, but very similarly down the path of Spider-Man. Now, I don't expect a, an Uncle Ben death or something next issue, but certainly not going to rule it out either. I mean, the dad was a pretty, pretty token presence um, in this issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. But and if, I almost forgot about him until you mentioned him. And, of course, Derek is adopted. I'm like, well, why does that matter? Yeah. But I guess it allows them to have a, a an ethnic kid and non-ethnic parents. I don't know. I... Again, not entirely sure where they're going with this, but that was where I was a little frustrated with this. I liked what we got. I just felt yeah. this was almost like an Ultimate Universe title, not a DC Universe title. I don't really feel like Sideways would fit in with the Justice League or the Teen Titans or almost any other kind of DC group we've got. But I did like what we got, what we saw here. I just wanted more story to kind of move it past a, a an initial almost teaser plot point yeah yeah i think the i think the art's really strong um i'm, I'm very i was very impressed with some of the detail and um most of the consistency until you pointed out a couple of things that i had missed on uh, room sizes and such um but yeah so the, so the art's really strong i really like the story um I, I think i this this reveal of the big bad um, I'm not sure where that's going to go. Just get a little piece of it. 
Um, I hope that's that's fun uh, as, and keeps in the spirit of what this first issue is. Um, and, and I'm curious. I'm curious, and I'm, I'm definitely going to stick with it. I, I had enough fun with this that uh, I would actually recommend this to others to sample. I think it's it's a worthy addition. You lose some points for originality, but I had enough fun with it. Um, I know it's just scratching the surface, but I'm still going to give it the B plus. I can I can see where you're coming from on that. For me, I'm going with a, a B minus on it because of lack of, of really character progression or plot progression. But I agree, it's a fun read, and that's something I thought damage was missing. Is it, it wasn't it didn't have that the sense of fun to it uh, that this does. But if this doesn't start really kind of forming a story, turning this kid into a hero or whatever he's going to be. He doesn't even need to be a superhero for that matter. They need to do it soon because uh, this is not the kind of marketplace that's going to give something a long leash. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it can't meander. And there probably needs to be a little more meat on the bone for that second issue to keep people who were, I'm I'm guessing, are going to be entertained enough on this first issue. Uh, But to keep them engaged, it, it will have to have a little more meat on the bone. Yeah, I don't think this is going to turn anybody off. It's just a question of, does it give people enough to come back for that next issue or not? For more than just out of curiosity. Because I think it'll hang on to enough that way, but I would have, it would have been better if they'd come out of the gate swinging, uh, you know, stronger and, and knocked out a home run versus uh, uh, enough to keep the game in play. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Shall we move on to our Marvel book? Yes. This is Star Wars Thrawn number one. Now, this is based on a novel novel by Timothy Zahn, and it's being adapted by Jody Hauser. Did and, you read that? Uh, the novel, no. I haven't read the novel, but I did read Star Wars Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn, which introduced Thrawn, but that was back when it came out, like, in 1998 or so. And there's apparently not a... fresh in your memory. Oh, God, not even. I remember there was an Admiral Thrawn. And he was a big deal, and he was kind of cool. But they've apparently, uh, Timothy Zahn's just done a new novel, Star Wars Thrawn, which is going over the guy's life history or something. And I felt this issue did a really good job of introducing us to Thrawn, showing how he kind of uh, navigates the obstacles in his path, introduces us to this uh, uh, cadet or whatever, Eli Vanto, I think is his name, who's initially his translator, becomes his his friend or whatever. Um, And... What got me was just a lot happened in this issue. And, I mean, the book's like 480 or something pages. I'm not sure how long this, this miniseries is going to... I guess, wait, it's a six-issue miniseries. I do know how long this is going to go. So, taking a, a 400, 500-page novel, condensing it down into what? I guess that would be uh, 130 pages. 20 yeah. pages or thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stuff's going to get cut. So the fact it didn't feel disjointed, I thought, really worked. And the fact that I thought we got a good sense of these characters uh, really worked for me. Um, I thought this was a really good read. Yeah, I was incredibly impressed because I had been souring on some of these ancillary Star Wars characters and have been enjoying them. And I had zero knowledge of who Thrawn was. I, I, he may have been in a a cartoon or something as well. And I, I missed one of I missed that run and I, I did not familiar with the novels. So I was concerned I was going to be a little lost that they're, that they wouldn't really help me uh, understand the world. I mean, of course I understand the star world universe. So there were some familiar areas for me, but they did a J- Jody Hauser did a brilliant job of, of building this character 
and his assistant translator character uh, to fully fleshed out characters that were have great chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, some combative chemistry, but also uh, a reliance on each other and a loyalty to each other that was wonderful to read and experience and root for them. And the the growth of the what I what looked to me on the page as growth for both of these characters was amazing in one in one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I love these guys. I want to hang out with them. I want to hear more about their stories uh, and, and what what happens to them. Um, I understand the frustration of the translator and not what, you know wanting to do what he was going to do, but I also see the the sense that Thrawn trusts him and wants him to be a part of of be his 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 helper, his assistant, his sidekick throughout this. Um, and he has he has a lot going on and he he seems to be several steps ahead ahead of everybody and i just want to see more of this because he he's a fascinating character and so well developed and it it's just he, i mean he plays emperor palpatine a little bit and you know it it's it's just brilliant and i i just love the writing i think the art is good and um this is a really really great first issue and i love the way uh, it it's it set the table for what this series is going to be and um i'm really looking forward to it and i'm adding it to my pull list so it's getting a little more a little crowded but i i got to make room for this it's been it's great yeah this was this is what i think more comics should be like at a first issue like you said we really get uh, not just introduced to these characters we get to know them to like them and see them grow in the space of a single issue so far and I, again, I'm not sure how many pages this was, but there's a lot more story content and story progression than I think we typically get. And again, with that uh, uh, sideways issue, I felt we got introduced to the character, whereas again, here we spend uh, so much, not even more time, but more quality time with the character. The only um, thing on the art that was really kind of driving me insane, and I've seen some artists that do better, but overall this was good, and I don't know if it was the artist or the colorist or whom, but there was zipatone type dots all over the damn place. If you go about five pages in when Thrawn is first uh, meeting the, the translator guy, there are some places where it looks like there are polka dot boots or whatever on these stormtroopers. And it was just something that, I mean, it's a nitpick, I admit to that, but particularly there also on the last page, it was just so overused as to be distracting. But that's really the only major downside to this issue, I think. Again, there are a few other places where things might have been, you know, uh, could have been a little better or whatever in terms of the art or whatnot, but the story was top-notch. Again, not surprising. This was taken by a a, a talented writer from a really great writer's novel. If this had been lacking on story, it would have been because it would have been disjointed because there was too much story and not enough room to fit it. But again, they didn't have that problem here. I thought this was a really... Good execution. Um, it's got me not only interested in the comic, but now I'm, it's like if I had the time, I'd consider checking out the novel. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating breakout character. I'm, I'm assuming because they're telling this story uh, that it is past muster and can be part of canon now. Um, so it's possible that this character could make an appearance in a future movie or something. I think that would be fa- fascinating. Yeah, I, I, Jody Jody Hauser. Uh, I don't like everything it's 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 a woman right i believe so yeah i don't i don't like everything she does um 
but some of her stuff is really, really strong. And I think this is one of the best things she's written in a long time that I've read. Uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with, with the way she did this. The Luke Ross, Ross art is, is fine for me. Um, uh, it's it, but it, it doesn't stand out. It doesn't elevate, but it, I think it's it's definitely competent and, and above average art and and did a, a good job of telling helping tell the story. But I, I think the writing is really king king here and really impressed me with establishing where we are, what we're doing, who who the players are, and and making me care about them in a way that that's going to drive me through all, all six issues. Um, I, I want to find out how this this story ends, and I'm excited for the next issue, and I can't wait. Yeah, I'm curious uh, how much time elapses over the course of the series, because I expect we're going to do a couple of more time jumps, because we've done a few here. There were one or two places where the coloring seemed a little off. The translator's face on the last page, there were parts that had, like, white that I felt should have been colored or whatever, but that's the kind of thing that, while I notice it, it doesn't get in the way of the story, and the story is so strong that uh, it makes up for any, even, you know, minor shortcomings or whatever in the, in the art. Yeah, I think you're right. It glosses over them. You know, but imagine if this had been something that had, like, John Cassidy art or something like that. Step and Sage or somebody. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that would have been amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> somebody who could give it almost a bit more of that three-dimensionality and, and whatnot, uh, that would have been a very fascinating choice for this. But again, um, Luke Ross does a good job on this, and they're working with, with a great character, with great source material, and did a really good execution into comic book format. Not only would I recommend this, this is the kind of comic I think you could give to somebody who is on the verge of becoming a comic fan, but hasn't really kind of crossed over and needs that right impetus, particularly if they're a Star Wars fan. It, it is. It, it's definitely something you could give to someone who's maybe not a comic reader and say, hey, you love Star Wars. I don't know if you've read anything about this character, but check it out, and um, I, I think they'd be greedy for more. Yeah, and I think this would potentially set false expectations as to how much could happen in an issue, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, compared to Sideways, this is like two issues. Yeah, at least. <laughs> you could argue a miniseries, six yes. issues or something, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love this, and um, I, I came in you know, not with low expectations, just because I, I hadn't enjoyed a, a lot of these other miniseries that they've been cranking out. And I was just really, really impressed. Um, I highly recommend it. I'm going to give it a solid A and, and recommend it to others to check out. I'm almost right there with you. I'm going to go with a, an A minus. Uh, again, I do highly recommend this. Uh, I think it's a great comic. There were just enough things with the art that uh, yeah, I can get that. Yeah, distracted me, particularly that last panel where the background characters were getting eradicated by the zipatone type effect. It just, I don't know that that. Uh, Again, doesn't get in the way of the story, but it does kind of lower the marks on, on overall execution, which is a shame because I don't think it would have taken much uh, other than maybe the, the removal of the Zipatone uh, to really kind of knock this up a, a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the decision, because it almost looks like, uh, you know, a, a, an old television screen or something in that, that bottom panel. I'm not sure what they're going for there. Uh, yeah, it didn't it? It just kind of like the background is fading out. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it that was the thing. If I could tell what they were going for, maybe I could could live with it a little better. But I couldn't, so I didn't. Yeah, it was definitely a choice of something, but I'm not sure that it was 
communicated enough to to overcome yeah w- what you thought you you saw there yeah yeah it was a stylistic choice that for me didn't work mm-hmm. but again minor nitpick it's something that uh, I do think this is well worth people's time if you're interested in Star Wars but have kind of dropped out of of what they're going on with this is I think head and shoulders above the other titles they're doing and the other titles are pretty good too yeah some some weeks we just we're like well we don't have to worry about adding these to the pull list um, <laughs> you know these these are not going to cut make make the bacon these are not going to cut muster there's no way the these are good enough this is not that case this week i mean too solid um this much better than sideways but still um still two solid entries um and it's great when we when we get weeks like this where we pick the right the right titles absolutely because it's dumb luck <laughs> there's no way to know ahead of time if something's really going to be something that you can say yes this is good stuff go check it out or not but it's great when it happens yeah so on that note shall we go to our other book one that definitely will not be added to our poll list going forward. <laughs> well, that's only because it's Invincible 144, and it's the final issue of the series. Uh, so there is no more to be had. This is the end of all things. It says so right there on the cover. It's part 12 of 12, which no doubt would confuse people of, with 144 on the, the thing. Maybe they think it's a multiplication game. I don't know. This series launched back on January 22nd, 2003, and this brings it to a close 15 years later. And I'll be honest, I was a little worried up front when we had Mark talking to somebody off screen and spending a couple of pages of exposition of kind of the highlights of his life story. And it was interesting because it was not a recap of like the whole series, but just again, major things in, in his life. And it worked particularly when we realized, uh, who he was talking to, his, his son, um, that he just found out about, uh, an issue or two back. And while I wasn't a big fan of starting with the exposition, it set the scene. It made this, even as a final issue of a 144 issue series, it made it incredibly accessible, I think, for new readers. And then we get to see how things kind of progress from there, complete to getting uh, a little down the line, almost uh, jump forwards in time to see how things play out over the long term. And there were a couple of things here and there where it was almost like they were teasing a an upcoming storyline or, or things like that. It reminded me of the second season of Dollhouse, uh, which was a Joss Whedon show, lasted two seasons, first season gets just barely good enough ratings to continue. And then they realized that the five-year plan they had, they've, they, they were lucky to get a second season. So they ditch everything extraneous, cram only the, the key plot elements and, and scenes from the five-year plan into that second season. And it's like you've come back from a commercial break and it's like you've just missed the winter hiatus or whatever. Uh, and they've, they've skipped forward three months and here's what's going on. Same deal here. This is, it's like he had another 15 years planned and we're getting the selected choice bits of it in this final issue. I got that same sense that uh, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, that's a really cool story. I bet he had a couple of story arcs there that he could have explored. And and, and this storyline that he kind of, you know, in five or six panels, oh, that could, that could have been a great story. I, I, I was just amazed at the, the sheer volume of potential continuing story that was here it wasn't like 144 issues into this and he's done he's out there's nothing left in the tank and we just you know just just button this stuff up and move on 
I, I still feel like like he could keep going. There there seemed to be enough story here that would would be super interesting to read. Uh, that he really didn't have to quit. Um, I mean, it's fine. He quit. 144 issues. That's fantastic. That's, he stopped. I think calling he, it quit is is yeah yeah. <laughs> he just stopped it. But the way some of these were were buttoned up and and kind of fast forwarded a little bit, you're like, oh, that have that have been a great story. I'd love to read more about that. And I I just find that fascinating that he has that much uh that much that much of in the idea tank. I guess that you know it, it's these aren't just like okay, this person lived happily ever after, this person died, this person lived happily ever after the end. Uh, there were just whole little splinters going off in all these different directions. And um, I, I was really amazed at how much there was in here. I mean, it was 50-some pages, so um, definitely there's a lot to work with. But it, I, I was still very impressed by just how much was left uh, to talk about and to explore. I was surprised how many things seemed to almost get kicked off in this issue. Like, when the guy comes out of the portal with his, his like, fox or whatever chainsaw, and he's <laughs> like, oh, this is the home of, of Dad's greatest enemy, Mark Grayson. I'm like, that is something, like, he would have planted an issue for it to, to come to fruition a few issues later and kick off another story arc or something. Yeah. The final issue where, I don't know how many ways, uh, pages three, and, and you introduce this? <laughs> I don't know if it ever went anywhere in this issue but it was one of those things that we clearly like when we're seeing his daughter at the different ages yes yes we're clearly uh uh, ramping up the speed and and flashing forward rapidly yeah i'm I'm curious about his process if he has journals of outlines and or like note cards or something and he was just like okay let me see what what do i not want to what do I want to get rid of and not even explore? And then, oh, I, I've got to add this. I've got to talk about this. I, I really wanted to tell this story, and and he's just pulling all these things out of his out of his big overarching notebook or something, and and saying we I want to I want to get this germ of an idea out because I think it's a great one. And I think in a lot of cases they were they're just they're really great ideas that could have been even bigger. I, I do think it'd be very interesting for Robert Kirkman to write a book on comic book writing because. Some of his stuff has been incredibly successful, like The Walking Dead. Uh, some of it has been also just incredibly long-lived, even if not as successful, like here with, with Invincible. Other stuff has been much shorter-lived and not as successful, but it's something that he's made a, a definite contribution to, to comics in many respects, and I think he would have a lot to say about the, the craft of writing comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. as to how much what's, I would agree with or not, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to read it to find out. What's the short list of number of writers who have had two 144 plus issue runs? It can't, it can't be very long. It's got to be really short. Um, first, how many have even had a run that long? You got Bendis with, uh, Ultimate with Spider-Man. Ultimate, but I don't know what the second one is. <laughs> you got Peter David on Hulk, but I don't know what the second one is. Maybe Aquaman? Did he have 100-plus issues on both? Not on Aquaman. Or X-Factor, maybe? That's Peter David, and what would his other one be? I don't know that any of his X-Factor stuff lasted long enough for that. Uh, he did a long run on Star Trek over at DC. Yeah. But as for 100-plus issues... Let alone 144-plus. I mean, I, I think it's a short list, and it might just have Robert Kirkman on it and Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Stan Lee's one of the others. But I think it's also something that 
to have runs of this duration, it starts to be creator-owned stuff to where you're not at the mercy of a publisher changing directions. And yeah. even yeah. if it's going good, they think it could go better or differently, so they move it over somewhere. Deadco, maybe? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the big deal with uh, with Bendis' run on Amazing or Ultimate Spider-Man was that it was going and exceeding one of the longest runs in comics uh, for a, a mainstream property. So, again, Kirkman's doing this, and... Uh, again, he says out uh, at the letter page here, he almost ended this after the first dozen. You know, there were a couple of things that if, if a conversation either hadn't happened or a decision had been made slightly differently, we wouldn't be talking about this book. It would have been, hey, you remember that, that short-lived book he did about 15 years ago? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> you mean Super Dinosaur or... Uh, <laughs> Amazing <laughs> Wolfman or Astounding Wolfman. Wolf. Yeah. Or, there was a team book, too, out of this universe, wasn't there? Uh, Guarding the Globe. Yes. There was Brit. There was maybe one other. Battle Pope, I think is his, right? It's his, but I don't know that that was in this universe. But yeah, another no, one no. of his. Yeah, definitely not. Um, he's, he's done a lot of good stuff. And what I enjoyed about this is this was a really good end cap to the series. It gave it a satisfying conclusion and resolved stuff... And I almost wanted to go back to the first trade. Yeah. Because I think it may have been in the sixth issue where when you hit that turning point, if we got a line of that is the Vultramite way, and if the ending we got here on that splash page was a callback to something 15 years ago that I just don't remember. Yeah. 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 I've only read uh, since issue 100 and the first two trades. I've never made it through that 80 chunk 80 issue chunk in the middle there i guess so um i i'm still planning on picking up those compendium phone books and uh reading it through again eventually and and this this actually is encouraging to do that because i think he did a really great job of of tying all these these up and and making these characters um end in satisfying ways and and even I, I just it just blows my mind that there just seems so much potential in continuing this after 144 issues. Uh, it it doesn't feel like it it's it could end. It feels like it could just continue, and I I think that's that's kind of awesome. And so yeah, the Otley art is great. Um, Corey Walker, the other artist, is is fantastic. I, I'm not sure what the split was on them over the years. I know they've I think Otley did most of them, but. Uh, I think Corey Walker did a, did a fair share of art chores early on and maybe later towards the end. Um, but Robert Kirkman threw out and a really strong creative vision. And it, it really, uh, I think, will stand the test of time as a, as a really great comic book. I, I agree with that. I think this is going to go down as one of those superhero titles that you really ought to read. And you can almost use this as a litmus test as to whether you think it's for you or not, because... Well, you might lack a little context, this is an incredibly accessible thing that gives you the basic tone and style of the series. And I think this is a title that's been really overshadowed by The Walking Dead. But what he did over there for kind of the zombie genre, he's done for the superhero genre. He did some fun stuff over the course of the series. I forget what issue it was, somewhere in the 60s. He did a done-in-one event, and it was this oversized, almost trade paperback. I mean, it was thick, where the event started... Uh, played out and ended in the in the single issue. Wow! Uh, Eat your heart out, Marvel. <laughs> he's had some fun with this title over the years. 
There have been some times I think it was stronger than others, but that's true for every title. And this is definitely, like I said, a series worth reading, and one that I hope uh, stands that test of time. And for me, I'm going with a solid A. I thought this was really well done. Um, and again, gave it a satisfying conclusion without that finality of it's over, there's done, there's nothing left to say. If he wanted to go back to this world, he could. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it the A+, plus, uh, probably giving it a little um, Lifetime Achievement Award with that as well, and just uh, a little cherry on top, but I'm going to let it go out with an A+, plus for me. Uh, a great final issue, packed a lot of stuff in there, a lot of value for your money, and a really satisfying ending to a great series, so uh, hats off. Yeah, this is definitely something uh, Kirkman and company should be proud of. So speaking of, of things coming to an end... Since that's a decent segue, I think. Uh, that's pretty good, yeah. That's really nice. <laughs> um, we also have something uh, coming to a little bit of an end. This uh, is my penultimate episode. Yes. Uh, next episode will be your final one, and then you will uh, go back to the, the easier task of just being a listener. Yes. Uh, Much but... easier. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to thank you over the last, uh, right now, 249, but soon 250 uh, episodes of the Weekly Comics Spotlight. Uh, your willingness to read pretty much anything under the sun, uh, from Marvel, from DC, uh, from from the different independents and such, and uh, you know, helping me find some some different things that I hadn't been reading because well, if yeah. we hadn't reviewed a couple of things, there'd probably be at least a dozen items not on my pull list. <laughs> I, I I apologize, but I'm also <laughs> uh, you you've also made my pull list gigantic over the years. I, I I've expanded my reading list because of being on this show I've, I've been able to share my love of comics uh each and every week sometimes 55 times a year um and for for four to five years 250 episodes um it's quite a run i'm i'm really i'm really happy with that i think that's that's a good stopping point for me i i, I look forward to going back into I'll, I'll be co-host emeritus or something, and I'll just something listen, like that, yeah, yeah, hang out and be able to listen to some new voice uh, share their love of comics and their take, and uh, because sometimes I I found myself saying the same thing <laughs> a couple episodes in a row, so I'm I'm looking forward to a, a new voice, and I think that'll be a lot of fun for uh, the podcast going forward. I, the the saying things over and over again that's something I struggle with all the time. Because I think there's only so many ways, oh, this was, you know, not that original, or, geez, they did a lot of exposition, or, geez, sales yeah. are down over on that, or something. It's it's not good, it's not bad, it's just okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how many comics that one covers, though, legitimately. No, but we, uh, we've had a lot of fun, and I, uh, I valued our time together, and uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me the platform to talk about comics every week. It's It's been great. Oh, yeah, and again, I, I appreciate your willingness to jump in in the middle of stories and stuff like that and give things a fair shake because it's there's so many comics going on and stuff that uh, not doing that, I think, is is it's hard to get a, a good sense of, of what to review and such. Yeah. So coming at things with an open mind, that was uh, definitely very much appreciated. Thanks for listening to John Mayo and I review a DC, a Marvel, and a other publisher's book we do that each and every week if you enjoyed that and uh, check back here and you can also check out john's podcast the weekly comic spotlight check him out at the uh the comic book page website 
Thank you guys for listening. Drew signing off.